we owned a restaurant, we had a house, we had the, you know, quote unquote, white, white picket fence, the vehicles, the two dogs, the, the whole nine yards. And I had to walk away from absolutely everything. And I remember his comment to me was, if you think you're going to get a red scent, you've got another thing coming. And I remember in that moment going, my freedom is priceless. My happiness is priceless. I don't need any of this to be me. What's up, everybody? My name is Kelsey Lowe. You are listening to Joyfully You Podcast. And today we have Gina Lee on the show with us. Gina Lee is a spiritual life doula who is here to help you no longer survive, but instead thrive. Fueled by her experiences and struggles with an eating disorder, abusive relationships, and a quest for purpose, Gina's journey into the healing and transformational arts has been a progressive evolution through various modalities from the physical to the psycho-spiritual. So after building a successful career as a body worker and masseuse, she intuitively came to the discovery that there were much deeper roots behind the issues that manifest in our minds and in our bodies, which led her to the world of energy healing. While this expanded her repertoire as a healer and a body worker, over time she felt that there was still a profound psychological piece missing from the picture. She dove into further work in the form of Jungian shadow psychology and encounter groups. Through the process of peeking back the layers of the ego, the mind, and learning about the dynamics at the root of her own psyche and how they manifest in her life, Gina has explored a diverse range of techniques, therapies, and psychological approaches, gleaning the best of them to refine a holistic, total being approach to transformation and deep healing, rather than just treating the superficial symptoms and viewing it prescriptively. Born and raised in the interior of British Columbia, Canada, Gina Lee is a registered yoga teacher trained and certified in Hatha, Yin, Kundalini, Vinyasa, and prenatal yoga. Gina is also a personal growth coach, certified rebirther, holistic massage therapist, and pre-postnatal birth doula and energy healer. And so the way I was able to meet Gina was actually through a Facebook group while living in Playa del Carmen, Mexico. I just put on there looking for an energy healer and your name popped up and the universe brought us together. (laughs) (laughs) Gina, it's so wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Yes. You're so welcome. Thank you for joining us. So just so you guys know a little behind the scenes, Gina and I met in Playa del Carmen. Um, I was able to do a session with her, a massage session and being able to do energy work and inner child work. And it was so incredible. And it honestly just formed this beautiful relationship. And so this is going to be really, really fun to dive into inner child work, into energy healing. Um, and like, You've been trained in like every type of yoga there is. <laughs> you know, it seems like it. It's quite, quite the wordy bio. <laughs> yeah, but isn't it kind of cool to hear it all said back where it's like, whoa. Yeah, it does. It definitely gives me the feeling of going, shit, I have done a lot. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So share with us like how, you know, in the bio you mentioned, you know, eating disorder and abusive relationships. I'm sure that those experiences played a huge part into what it is you're doing now. Can you share a little bit with us about your story and and the things that have led you to doing this? And absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say that for me, those, those traumas and things that we go through in our younger years really are that opportunity to, dive deep and heal, but typically we are young and we have no idea why things are happening to us. And so we, you know, hold on to them and we carry them through many, many years, most likely decades, uh, until we hit these, you know, pivotal moments and these, these rock bottom moments, shall we say. And, uh, for me, yes, definitely early on in my, in my life, I was always struggling with feeling things. (laughs) I don't know for anybody else out there, but I didn't know that I was an empath and an empath meaning I pick up and feel other people's energy. And so as a small child (laughs) uh, going around in this world, not understanding what I was 
experiencing was not actually my uh, energy and and my experiences. It was other people's energies being projected on me, essentially. Uh, It was a lot to process, not even understanding it. And from a very young age, I turned to food and food was my comfort. It was my numbing mechanism. It never, uh, well, I shouldn't say it never. I was going to say it never made me feel bad. It made me feel bad by the results it gave me. But when I was eating, it was a, it was a safe place in that moment. And I didn't have a lot of those safe places as a child who was being bullied all through school. And, and so as I got older and as I, you know, progressed through life, I was basically this classic overachiever. I wanted you to have no idea what I was feeling inside. So you want to talk about being that bright, bubbly, gregarious, happy child. That's what I was because I did not want you to see what I was really feeling on the inside, which was feeling like this worthless piece of crap and how could anyone love me? And I'm this, you know, horrible being that nothing I ever do is good enough. And not understanding why I felt those things, but having to try to navigate those waters. So fast forward through high school, uh, there was a lot of, uh, you know, bullying and, and things, but I was that classic overachiever. So I was the 4.0 GPA. I was the president of every committee you could imagine. I was in extracurricular activities. I did sports. I, I was that chameleon that could jump between, you know, the band crew to the sports crew to the, you know, the um, musical theater crew to whatever it was. I was this magical chameleon. Um, and when I got out of high school was when I first got into a serious relationship and did not see all of the red flags for an abusive relationship. And if you had told me at 18 years old that I would be in an abusive relationship going forward, I would have told you you were crazy. There, there's, there's no way that I would have ever seen myself getting into something like that partly because I only ever understood abuse or abusive relationships as physical or sexual. I did not understand the emotional and the psychological abuse that can play out, mainly because I have and had and have amazing parents and the loving, you know, model of a relationship and a marriage and never once would I have ever thought that was possible. So slowly over time, my mind and and my essence was whittled down and remolded and adapted to believe that every argument and every situation was my fault. If I hadn't have done X, Y, and Z, then this wouldn't have happened. It is, it's, my, it's my fault. And then again, falling back into the, the, the belief that I, I'm not enough and that I'm not lovable, I took on that, well, I better make this work because there's nobody else out there that's going to want to marry me or be with me. I was in that dynamic for upwards of 10 years. And it was not until the last year that I started to actually wake up. And it wasn't until the physical and attempted sexual abuse came into the relationship that I woke the fuck up and went, what is going on? And that was the moment when I went, this is not okay. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I have to do something. So I (laughs) summoned every ounce of courage I could possibly find. And I walked away from everything. And to paint a very quick picture, by this point, we owned a restaurant we had a house, we had the, you know, quote unquote, white, white picket fence, the vehicles, the two dogs, the, the whole nine yards. And I had to walk away from absolutely everything. And I remember his comment to me was, if you think you're going to get a red scent, you've got another thing coming. And I remember in that moment going, my freedom is priceless. My happiness is priceless. I don't need any of this to be me. 
And so I left with $100 to my name and I completely relocated to another um, city. And from there is when all of this (laughs) started. And it really started as my own journey of healing and understanding why I am the way I am, who am I really, and what is this life actually all about? And it started with me going to see a woman that does a specific body type, uh, body work rather called Touch for Health, which is an applied kinesiology-based body work. And I feel like it was like the universe (laughs) giving me this, this moment of going, okay, yes, you're here to heal yourself. But just so you know, she also teaches this modality. And I remember going, hmm, I wonder, I wonder if I should actually learn this, you know, maybe just for myself. It cut out for just a second, but we're back. It it just said, I wonder, and now you're back. Weird. Okay. Well, I wonder. (laughs) In that moment, I was like, I wonder if this is actually something I should do. And so I dove in. And the reason why I dove in and why I even went to see her in the first place was I was raised by an amazing mother who did not ever let me have an illness or an ailment or a dis-ease for the physical reason. If I had a sore throat, she would ask me, what unexpressed anger are you not communicating to me right now? And I would just be like this child going, I just have a sore throat. And she's like, nope, there's something else there too. And so I was always kind of raised with this more uh, esoteric, holistic approach to life and healing in our minds and so on and so forth. So I dove into the body work and loved it. But then as I was starting to work with clients and would then ask questions that were specific to their bodies, but in a psychosomatic platform, they would go, well, what do you mean? And I'd be like, well, what what are you so angry about? Because, you know, this part of your body is communicating that your your bladder, which is where we hold anger on an on a um, non physical level, is is out of balance. Well, how do you know that I'm so angry? And I'm like, well, because your body's telling me. Well, yeah, I'm like, I'm really pissed off. Like, and then they would go in and they would start telling me their whole life story, and I was like, uh oh, <laughs> what have I what have I done? But it was I knew I could hold space for them. So from that, I then got into the transpersonal psychology and the life coaching and that whole world. But I still felt like there was another platform that was missing. And that was that spiritual esoteric side that really resonates for me. And that's where I got into energy work. And then from energy work, I got into yoga and all of the holistic you know, teachings and, and what have you with, with the yogic world as well. And I've just always had this approach that everyone is at a different place at different times in their healing path. And I like to show up with my tool belt of, of different modalities because to assume that every person is needing just one thing is not, in my opinion, valid. We, we need to address where they're at first and then bring them up to wherever you know, they want to go. And so that's why I've really just had this thirst for knowledge and information. And I always joke that I was the three-year-old in that, but why stage, you know, but why, but why, but why, that I never grew out of it. I am still that way. I'm like, but okay, that's fine. You're going to tell me that, but why, why is that? I need to understand that because I'm not going to just turn around and, and, you know, regurgitate what you've just told me as, as gospel. I need to understand why. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's awesome. (laughs) That's awesome. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for bringing us into your story. And it's so interesting how there are those connections to emotions in different parts of our body. I remember when I did my body work session with you, one of them, you, <laughs> you, you, were on, you were on this one part of my calf and it was just like this small little part on the inside of my calf, on the inside of my knee that I was like, ow, oh my gosh, what the hell is this pressure point? And I don't even remember, to be honest, what it is. Okay, well, can you tell me what is that yeah. little spot <laughs> sensitive? It's the popliteus muscle, which correlates with the gallbladder meridian. Okay. (laughs) I know because a lot of people have a soreness in that area for sure. 
And then emotionally, what is that connected to? The gallbladder is all about the the sweetness of life and breaking things down. So whether we don't have enough sweetness or we have too much sweetness and the the process, because the gallbladder produces the bile that breaks down the the fatty foods or alcohol or sugary things. And so it's that balance of being able to break things down. Mm. Oh, that's so interesting. Okay. So like, what would you say is is a misconception right now for, or maybe like things that people are most blown away about, like even like certain he- headaches or things of like heartburn, you know, like, oh, I'm not asking a very formulated question, but I know that it, a lot of people would be interested in like, oh, what does this mean? Like, how did you even start learning about this? Is it Chinese medicine? Is there a book? Like, <laughs> yeah, essentially, yes. So, so the foundation of it comes from that applied kinesiology-based teachings that I was telling you about called Touch for Health. There's other modalities that are out there that follow, but it is, it is, it is a, an Eastern medicine philosophy-based practice. No differently than when you go and you get acupuncture and they're working with your meridians. Your meridians Meridians are an energy vessel. Like, so you, you, if you can visualize your body and all the blood vessels that run through the body. So imagine like the blood vessels, there are these energy channels and these energy channels correlate into the different, and they are the meridians and they correlate to the different uh, organs. And so with the massage aspect of it is specific muscles are what we call indicator muscles for those organs. And so if that muscle is in reaction, then it's an indicator that that organ is out of balance, either on a physical level or a mental or emotional level. So. Oh, cool. Okay. (laughs) Thank you so much for explaining that and like bringing us in, because I think it's just so interesting being someone who is very emotional and my emotions. I I remember being younger and just kind of thinking my emotions are so important to me. And it was because it was something that I could feel so many similar to you, how you were saying before, there's how to learning how to feel and learning how to feel safe feeling. Um, and so whenever I get to find out the connections between different things and how that's related to us emotionally, even like finding out that like, okay, I get headaches when I'm overthinking in my mind, it all just makes sense. Mm -hmm. It just makes sense to me. But for so, or even thinking about in high school times where I got heartburn, where I was like, well, that was right after my grandpa died. But I thought it was just um, because I'm eating acidic foods and it wasn't even, and maybe it was part of that, but like, it wasn't even that much of it. Um, so it's just so, so powerful. This, this. And I mean, obviously there's still an element of physicality to our bodies. If we, you know, go hike a mountain and then the next day our calves are filled with lactic acid and they're stiff and sore, just because your calves are sore doesn't mean that it's correlating in with anger and unresolved, you know, issues because you just climbed a mountain. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. There are, there still is a physical level to our existence in this, you know, in this shell that we walk around in, but there's, so much. I always tell people it, it's when it comes down to the chronic conditions, that's when it's the juicy stuff. That's when it's more the mental and emotional root causes to things. And I'm not negating that there isn't a physicality that's still playing out, but how I usually describe it is a lot of people just want to put a bandaid over top of the sliver instead of actually going in and removing the sliver and then putting the Band-Aid and maybe some polysporin first and then, you know, put the Band-Aid on top, right? It doesn't negate that we need to use a Band-Aid or that we need to use some sort of an ointment, but you need to get the sliver out first. And the body is no different. The emotions and the unresolved traumas and things that we store in our body, our body can only store it in so many places. It can only try to communicate so much to us. And then it starts to manifest in chronic dis-ease in the body. And so that's that's where my real passion has come from is, is being able to guide people and go, okay, yes, you're having this ailment or this situation going on in your life, but let's actually go back and figure out where it came from, why you've even quote unquote manifested this experience to come into your life. What is it facilitating? Let's look at that stuff so that we don't just put a bandaid over top of the sliver and then it starts to get infected. And then every time you touch it, then it hurts and it just never really goes away you know, but you might not see it. It might be under the skin, but it's still there. You know, it's there. 
And so that's the passion that I've really dove into and why I love to work with people on like on a one-on-one level and, and really getting into the mind and the, and the energy that, that they're not even realizing is playing out. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. And I like how you mentioned too, the facilitating of like, what is this facilitating? Because everything's facilitating something and it's normally protection, right? And, and so a lot of your stuff that you teach and that you've done is, is the protection of, of our adult self protecting the inner child and how that can manifest with self-sabotage, how that can manifest as like, you know, our inner child having tantrums and, and how that can show up as an adult. And so can you dive into what is happening when we are, you know, self-sabotaging or if we are feeling like disrest or disease within ourself? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know it's kind of a big question, but I feel like you explain the inner child work so much differently than other people have. And so I really want to touch on that. <laughs> okay. On to the next hour of conversation. No, just kidding. <laughs> where to begin? Uh, so I, I think the biggest thing and where I like to start with anyone, if we're, if we dive into the inner child and understanding is, is that we are never upset for the reasons we think. That's the biggest thing to start with is, is that the upset that we are either mentally or emotionally feeling, whether it's manifesting physically in our body or not, we are not actually upset for the reasons we think. Um, easiest example, uh, my, you know, not me, but like, say someone like my boyfriend cheated on me. Okay. Well, on a surface level, most of us would think, oh, uh, she's upset because her boyfriend cheated on her and she has, you know, all this anger and upset and betrayal and so on and so forth. But the upset that really is going on is that it's triggering a mistaken belief that she has about herself. And the situation that has happened is triggering that. And so I always talk to people, it's like, now don't get me wrong. It does not negate or give permission for the other person's actions. But we are responsible for our choices in how we choose to react to the situation. And our upset is our responsibility. It's not the other person's responsibility. And so when I dive into that inner child work and getting people to start to understand is, is that when we're upset, it's not our adult selves. Our adult selves can logicalize the heck out of things and we can understand it and go, okay, well, this was this happening, blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, that just negates our little self that's having a, a freak out because she's believing something about herself. And this is what is we call the mistaken belief of self. And this mistaken belief of self, there's four. And it comes to us and, and is formed when we're very young. It's between the ages of three and about three and somewhere between seven and nine. And because of this formation and this belief that we take on in ourselves, we then manifest all these other things that go forward to potentially heal this belief but most of us don't realize what it is. And so then we just look at the world as things happening to us instead of for us. And that I always love to really take things back for people is to understand life is happening for us. It's not happening to us. And so the sooner we can get on board and look at a situation from a bird's eye view versus like, feeling that you're in it and it's happening to you and you're stuck in this, you know, mucky water and you don't know which way is up and which way is down, the sooner we can learn to actually take ourselves up and out into that, you know, I call it the 30,000 feet above air, you know, bird's eye view of the situation, we can become neutral as best we can to it and look down and go, oh, okay, so this is what's actually happening and this is what's playing out and this is why this has happened and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's almost like being able to see the roles of like a movie. What are the roles here? For sure, absolutely. And that's what I always tell people when I'm working with them on, uh, you know, in relationship uh, aspects and the dynamics is you enter a relationship with your partner. And if you imagine kind of visually where I'm very visual, I don't know about you, but I'm very, Oh, visual. I'm so visual. Everything has to be visual. I'm like, bring on the analogies, girl. Okay. I'm like the analogy queen here. So, so if you imagine that we're like these two robots and you, we have this 
panel in, in our in our chest. And, and if you open up the panel, there's all these little buttons and we pull out the remote control from the panel. And when we enter a relationship with a partner, we hand them that remote control. And then the relationship goes on and they've handed us their remote control, vice versa. And we go through the relationship and then all of a sudden something comes up and they start pushing our buttons and we get pissed off at them for pushing our buttons. Okay. Number one, we gave them the remote control. And number two, there are fucking buttons. So like, it's about starting to actually address why we have energy still attached to these buttons, not about blaming the other person for pushing our buttons. Cause we've actually asked this person, depending on how esoteric you really want to get into this. We've asked that person to come into our lives. We've asked for these experiences so that we can heal. And the sooner we can get on board and understand that, the more things actually start to make sense, Mm -hmm. which is also why I can literally sit here almost, oh, wow, this summer will be 10 years since I walked away from my my, um, ex-husband, 10 years. Wow. And so I can literally- Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) I can literally sit here and say, I am grateful for- everything that happened because I would not be here as who I am if I had not asked for those experiences to come into my life, no matter how traumatic they were, no matter how insanely painful and at moments thinking that there was not going to be an end or the end was not going to be very pretty. Despite all of that, I can actually look back and and be grateful. And I, if I were to see him, I would actually be able to say, thank you. Now, do I really want to sit down and have a conversation? Not necessarily, but I can, you know, and that's, that's the beautiful place for all of us to be able to get to with any situation. Can we be neutral? And can we come from a place of love and compassion, understanding that we've all come into this with, with this either unconscious or conscious understanding that we're here to heal. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so powerful when we do start to make that shift that things are happening for us. And I feel like the thing that really starts to to transform the gratitude towards shitty situations is when we take the time to see what we learned from it. Because like that high achiever in us is like, oh, I got something. Okay. I'm grateful I learned that. Actually, that changed my life, you know? But for me, I had a very, not very similar, but in some ways, metaphorically similar where I was in an abusive relationship and um, it took me, I didn't, I had so much repressed anger towards myself for staying and I didn't know how to find gratitude in it until I found forgiveness in myself of like, hey, you didn't know then what you know now, Kels. And like, I still had like my inner child sitting in the corner crying, but then my adult self is like, we're here to work. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And that's so important to actually understand is, is that really the only forgiveness that really needs to happen is forgiveness for ourselves. Why? And I know this is going to get a little controversial. So I'm just going to preface with that. Bring it on. But why would I need to forgive my ex-husband for being an abuser? Why would I need to forgive him? He's the teacher. I enrolled in that course. I chose that course. What do I need to do? Do you forgive your third grade teacher for teaching you whatever they teach you in third grade? No. <laughs> That's so interesting. I love this. I need to stop hitting my leg. It's probably sounding weird on the audio. <laughs> <laughs> right? But this is the thing. Why do we need to get, forgive our teachers? We've, we've, we've enrolled ourselves in that class to learn whether we choose to learn the lesson in that class or we got to re-enroll for summer school. That's up to us. But at the end of the day, the only forgiveness that needs to happen is to myself and to little me apologizing that it took me 10 fucking years to figure it out. Yeah. And the little Gina's like, I just want to play. And 100%. He loved. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have to mark that explicit podcast. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Oh, every single podcast episode's marked illicit, actually. Perfect. (laughs) It's it's an all or nothing kind of deal with iTunes. You're either, it's like, 
illicit or not. So I'm nice. like, well, I guess we're going there. F-bombs yeah. are welcome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's, I love that reframe of like, why would we need to forgive our teacher for teaching us things? And that just really like, it, it, it goes up against the belief that we're taught as a child that bad people must repent, you know? Okay. You did that to your brother where you can't play until you say, sorry, and give him a hug, even though you want to punch him, you know, of like feeling like this is what I'm supposed to do. Right. When really in no way, shape and form, am I condoning domestic violence at all? I just want to like put that really big asterisk in there. I'm not in any way condoning it, especially having gone through it. But this is for the intention of healing and really getting underneath the roots of things, then it's understanding things at a deeper, a deeper place. And that's, that's the intention of what I, what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. 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 And I get what you're saying. And I mean, I think it's easier to speak to it, having experienced it and yeah, I know you're not negating it and anyone, if you are experiencing it, you know how trapped and suffocating it is. Yeah. And that's, the precise reason why I focus on empowerment because I don't want anyone to have to experience that level of entrapment that truly felt real for me in that relationship where I didn't even know who I was. And that's, but I am so thankful for it because I had to go through that darkness to ask those hard questions of, well, who am I? Yeah. And it sounds like same exact thing for you. hundred percent. Who am I really? And I remember it was, I would have been 28 at the time. And I remember coming out of it and going, well, interesting. Okay. So I'm 28. I feel like I'm 18 again. I have my whole life ahead of me essentially, but I feel like I had a whole life behind me, but who do I really want to be? I can literally be anyone I want. So who do I really want to be now? And just that was that whole process of it reinventing myself and understanding, you know, going, huh, okay, well, I, I guess that's what I got to figure out. What, what's really going on for me? Why am I here? What is my purpose? What's the function of this human being that I am right now? What, why am I here? Yeah. And the high achiever, <laughs> the high achiever too is like, I need my place. Where can I create and perform in a way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How can, and I, and I think it's evolved over the years now to a place of how can I be of service? And it's, it's gone to that next level of going, I've, I've done a, the, the work that needed to be done to heal has now transcended me into that work of being here to help others who want to heal that need the tools or the information. And, and but not being attached to their outcomes and to their progress because it's their choice. I'm just the teacher. They get, they get to choose whether or not they need to come back for Sunday school or not. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. And I think that that's so, it's such a good perspective to have, to not get discouraged by people not accepting all the invitations. I like to view them as invitations. If I were to invite someone to my wedding, Okay, that's different. I would expect <laughs> them to come. No, if I, <laughs> I'm like scratch that new. If I were to invite them to a New Year's Eve party, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't care if they didn't come. But although there would be this part, the inner child that's like, you're not accepting my invitation. But then the adult self is like, okay, we don't get to take it personal because we don't know what's going on in their life. Right. Yeah. And, but right there in that moment is exactly what I talk about is this, these, these mistaken beliefs of self of how, and so the second question, the the second kind of statement first is we're not upset for the reasons we think. The second one is how are you making this mean something about yourself? Right. Mm -hmm. And that right there is what leads to these mistaken beliefs of self. So I don't think I've said them yet. So I'm going to outline them. So there's four, there's only four. I'll argue anybody till they're blue in the face. They all come down to these four that somewhere inside our little self has taken on this mistaken belief that we are unlovable, unworthy, undeserving, or not good enough. And it's usually a one or a combination of the four in varying degrees, depending on the trauma that we've had as a child and these beliefs that we take on. So in that moment of someone throwing a New Year's Eve party and someone not showing up, 
logically as the adult, we can go, well, of course they're just busy or maybe they, you know, they're whatever, whatever the logical adult, you know, explanation is to alleviate the, the feelings that our little self is actually believing. Well, if they really love me, if I was lovable, if I was enough, if I was worthy or if I was deserving, depending on the person and which ones they've attached to, this person would still come. So what have I done for them to not want to come? And so everybody will reframe or shape it depending on what their belief is. But regardless, it's the fact that we're making it mean something about ourselves. It might have absolutely nothing to do with us, but we're making it mean something. And it's just projections. And everybody, every human being on this planet is all just a bunch of little three-year-olds inside having temper tantrums and throwing sand in the sandbox at each other because the other person's making them feel a certain way. I'm not making you feel a certain way. You're choosing to feel that way because your little self believes this about themselves. So the real work is about actually going back and working with that little self and connecting ourselves adult-wise to our little ones and working on that connection versus the connection that we're always externally trying to find to validate because really all it is is our little self going, well, she's not paying attention to me, so let's go find a boyfriend that'll give us love and attention or let's go you know, find a teacher that's going to you know, take us under their wing and then we'll feel good enough or whatever it might be. So we are never upset for the reasons we think. And how are you making it mean something about yourself? Mm-hmm. Those are like two golden things to start the process of digging. Those deep. are huge. Those are huge. I love that so much. And the part about what are you making it mean? Because that's like something we do have control over of like what meaning we assign to the experience. And reassigning the meanings, right? Because I think doing this work, once we start to realize, oh, I made that mean this, we we then have the opportunity to create a new meaning that serves us. And not in a delusional way, but from a way of imagining that child in front of us. I feel like it's like this empathy trick. Because the moment we imagine our little child sitting in front of us, like our heart melts. Because there's this, this level of empathy of like, oh, well, I would never talk to a child the way I'm talking to myself or, oh, no wonder they're having a tantrum. They're not feeling loved and seen in this moment. And I remember something that you had talked about was um, our inner child wants to be loved, seen, and heard by our adult self. And our adult self wants to be loved, seen, and heard by the world. That's a really good statement. I, I'm, I'm glad I said that to you. <laughs> Sometimes things actually literally will come through me, you know, and intuitively they'll, they'll, they'll come through. And I always love when things like that happen, you know, on that more esoteric side, because I really am just the messenger. I am just the portal. And I think it's important as like, I really, I really don't tend to use the word healer because the word itself implies that I'm the one doing the work for you. And even as, you know, an energy healer, no, I'm just the portal that the energy is coming through and I'm directing it in specific targeted ways for your body and your consciousness to choose to heal or not heal. And that's what's so important is to understand is, is that um, a lot of quote unquote healers will not have done enough work on themselves and they are looking for their validation by the results of their students or by their clients. And right there in that moment, it's still their little self wanting to prove that they're good enough, right? So yeah, it's, it plays out everywhere. And the problem I always tell people when I, when I kind of give them this information, I probably should have said that at the beginning, but um, it's kind of like the matrix and that spot where he can take the, is it the blue and the green or blue and the red? Blue and red. Blue, blue and red. And red. So mm-hmm. the blue and the red pill. And it's like, you now can't go through life not knowing what I've just told you. <laughs> and so now your perception of everything can shift because as you've, as you've gone through life, all of a sudden now you're going, oh, hang on a second. I'm upset. But that means that it's not me. That means it's little me. 
oh, okay. You know, so what is it? What's, what's really going on? How am I making this mean something about myself? And life starts to shift and the universe goes, oh, okay. So she's going to start to pay attention to that. Okay. Let me send her this information. Okay. So now she's finished, finished this syllabus of the course. Okay. So now we're going to send her this module, you know? And so it just kind of keeps adding on. The more we get thirsty to grow and to learn, the more the universe goes, oh, okay. So she's paying attention. All right. Let's, let's throw her this teacher. Okay. Let's, let's bring this in. Okay. Let's guide that in that way. You know? Oh, so she thinks she knows everything. Let's throw her this little roadblock and see if she's really actually integrated it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. (laughs) I hate roadblocks. (laughs) Right. It's like, okay, thank you so much for that. Well, yeah. Yeah. There's that. It's, it's these, yeah, it's like hurdles and we have to like learn how to jump. <laughs> like when the teacher throws in the pop test, like the pop quiz. And you're, I don't know, for, the, for those of you who um, like to have things somewhat calculated or planned out, <clears throat> like myself. Um, I was the teacher's worst nightmare. Were you? I was, I was the one where, no, I was the confusing one because I still inherently was the people-pleasing perfectionist. But I was so social and so rebellious that they would love me by how much I'd participated. Then they'd hate me and want to kick me out because of how much I'd be talking in the class because I was just so like focused on whatever the next shiny thing was, even if that's a full-blown conversation while the person's teaching. So I look back and I'm like, damn, I was like a solid CB student, but I made sure they loved me. I cared more about them loving me than I did my grade. Just goes to show the people pleasing like inner child that's like, I don't want to do all the things you tell me to, but can I, I still want to make sure you love me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't want to wreck that part. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Sorry. I totally hijacked whatever you're about to say. No, it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> right, there, right there with you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. And I totally agree that it's this, it's this awareness that once you have it, you can't really ignore it after that, but it's such this beautiful um, way to look at the multiple dimensions of ourself Mm-hmm. That we are just one. Like I joke, I'm like, I got my inner critic. I got my inner child. I got like the diva inside, you know, all these different archetypes of the person that we get to be um, and the person that we get to unbecome, right? There's also this part of me that's like the manipulator and learning how to unbecome that part where like the drive starts to infuse with determination. And all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, whoa, unattached a little bit here, Kels. Well, and so in that's a good a, way. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But I, that's so, it's so true. Like I always, I always talk to people about the fact that it's like all these courses and trainings and personal growth and, and developments and, and tools that we learn, our ego is right there learning alongside. And the closer we get to understanding this whole big picture of things, the stronger it starts to fight back. And I, I argue with people that say they need to kill their ego or they need to get rid of their ego. No, that's not the case. The more you try to kill something, the more it's going to fight for its life. What we need to do, because it's scared, because it's going to lose its job. So it's been handed a pink slip and you need to go in and go, okay, hang on. We're going to take that pink slip back. You're not, you're not losing your job. We need to just create a new department for you. And you're going to have a corner office on a top floor, but you've got a new job description. Your job is not to protect little, you know, little self anymore. That's my job. But your job is now going to be working with us, right? And that's the part that people sometimes have lost sight of is they go, oh, the ego's bad. No, the ego's just been doing an old job that it hasn't been given a new job description to, 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 and, and trained in a new department. That's all it needs is a new department training, like an upgrade. <laughs> Give it a corner office. It'll be happy. <laughs> yeah, that's such a good way of looking at it. It needs a new department. Yeah, because yeah, the ego wants to protect us. Like that, that natural survival part of us is necessary, especially if like if a mountain lion were to try to chase me, I would need my ego. And obviously that kind of shit's not happening now. So it makes sense that it's like, oh, if I can't physically protect you, I'm going to emotionally protect you because I want to be important. 
Right, exactly. And the ego forms at the same time as when that mistaken belief of self comes in because nobody else is protecting little you in that moment. So the ego comes in and goes, okay, we don't ever want to feel unlovable again. So I'm going to come in and I'm going to start to guide you in different ways to make decisions a certain way so that we avoid feeling unlovable going forward or whatever it is. So we avoid feeling not good enough or unworthy or undeserving. And so it, it was, it was crucial for that ego to form in that moment. But now, um, I was given this beautiful analogy, so I can't take credit for it, but it is beautiful in the sense of you've imagined yourself in a parka and you're up North in like Northern Canada, really, really cold. And you need a parka. That parka is going to save your life, right? Mm -hmm. Just like the ego in that environment, in that moment, that ego is formed to save you, to protect you. If you take that same person in that parka and you put them in the, in the, in the desert, in the middle of Nevada or Arizona somewhere in that same parka, that same protection is now going to kill you. Now, I know it's really dramatic in that sense, but it's the same thing is, is that we grow up, we evolve, but then the ego is still trying to protect us thinking that we're in Northern Canada when really now all of a sudden we're in Arizona. So we need to peel off that layer and let the, the ego now be a bathing suit. (laughs) (laughs) The one thing I really like about that analogy is like noticing, um, the, the environments that's changing and how what we need is different. So the only way that we really can know that is if we're present with where we are. 100%. Yeah. Especially because we could have all these memories of Canada and forget that we're even in a new state. <laughs> the analogy. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that exactly. disassociation. That's such a great analogy. I love that. I'm, my visual mind is like, yes, that makes sure. so much sense. Which <laughs> is also why I, you know, as, as much as this modern day westernized version of yoga has been beautiful in the sense of people being aware of what yoga is. I think on some level, we've also done a disservice in losing the core philosophy of what yoga actually is. Number one, the word yoga means, uh, comes from the root yuj, which means to unite or yoke. So it's all about unification, unification of self. And the asana practice, the, the being in physical postures, is actually really new in, you know, age, if you will. And that that asana practice was created by the sadhus, by the yogis, so that they could get their bodies to be comfortable sitting in meditation for hours and days on end. The function of an asana was not to get your beach body ready to wear a bikini. It was to get yourself so that you could be physically present in your body so that you could be physically present in your mind. And because our physical bodies tend to distract us and be uncomfortable, it makes it harder to meditate. But what brought this up was when you're talking about just going ahead and being present and in this moment. And that's why I absolutely love working with meditation and breath work and, and all those aspects of yoga. Yoga is not just the physical practice. There's eight limbs to Patanjali's yoga. And within that is meditation, which is pranayama or breath work. And then it's also the yamas and niyamas, which is the restraints and observances. And even within that, I always talk to my students about ahimsa. And ahimsa is the practice of nonviolence. Well, it's pretty straightforward if we think about it, like, you know, not be violent to other people. But I remind them that that practice of nonviolence is also towards ourself. And how quickly do we beat ourselves up and tear ourselves down? And that's why I love to incorporate more of the deeper spiritual, psychological aspect when I'm teaching yoga. If you want to work out, Go, there's many teachers that are out there that are great and they will give you your beach body. <laughs> if you want to do like real solid soul work and use yoga, I'm your gal. <laughs> That's awesome. And that is such a differentiator too. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, there was a, one of my teachers uh, had this saying and I absolutely loved it. It always stuck with me. And it was that 
the physical practice, the asana of yoga is not, it is not about using your body to get into the, into the asana. Okay. So it is not about using your body to get into the, into the physical posture. It's about using the asana to get into your body. It's about actually using the practice of yoga to get present and in your body. Whereas most people are trying to get their body into a a specific posture, whether it be an Instagram photo that they saw or a yoga magazine. And, you know, I'm not a yogi if I can't do a backbend or, you know, or a handstand or whatever it might be. But really it's about using the, the posture to get into our bodies because we are so good at checking out, numbing out, using food, alcohol, drugs, sex, relationships, whatever it, our anxiety binding mechanism is. And so this and the practice that I love to teach is um, yin yoga is great for that because you can't, you're in a posture for like one to five minutes. There's no, you ain't going nowhere. You ain't, you're not thinking about something and oh, what's my next posture? No, you're sitting there and you're melting and you are with your brain and you are with your body. And it can be uncomfortable for people. But to me, that's where like the juice goes. That's where like the, the, the nitty gritty, juicy aspects of why this practice can be so profound for people and so mentally and emotionally profound is when you give yourself that moment to be present, to be with their, their actual physical essence. Yeah, I can talk about that for like, like days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's great. I like the that slight difference of being with our body versus trying to manipulate our body. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Because I think of, I bet they didn't have huge mirrors to stare at themselves the whole time they were doing yoga when they were. <laughs> no. It wasn't about how they looked. It was about how they felt. Exactly. Exactly. And how quickly they could get their mind to be calm and to be still and to let themselves get into that space of nothingness and be comfortable in the nothingness. That's also a really interesting part of even just with breath. And can you be okay in that space of a full breath as much as you are in that space of being completely empty, emptying every ounce of breath out of your body, can you still be as calm in that state as we are when we're full? And I mean, it parallels life. Can you be okay stripped down to nothing, walking away with $100 in your pocket with nothing to your name? Can you be okay in that moment of life as much as when you're in full flown, you know, or full stride of abundance and everything's flowing and everything's going great? Can you be just as okay in both ends of the spectrum? Mm. Yeah, that's powerful. Mm. And it brings us, the first thing that comes to my mind is the connection to spirit, the connection to source. Cause I feel like the only way to be okay is to feel that higher power that is supporting us in those decisions when the decisions are from the heart. Cause I think that can be the scariest part is, is because it, it's not about settling to be okay. It's about being okay in that moment, knowing with every single cell it's temporary. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I always tell people, it's like, can you get comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? I mean, the only thing that is consistent in our life is change. So it's a practice of non-attachment constantly. Yeah. And what part of us is needing to attach to something, right? We're looking for a balance between consistency and and, and inconsistency right? Like it's a lot of us are really wanting that consistency to hold on because then there's that control. But then there's the other part of some of us that really want the, the flow and the, like the constant change. And then there's like this balance between the two. I know you and I are kindred spirits being like these gypsy yogi, you know, gypsy yogi myself is what I kind of like hashtag, but it's, uh, there's an element of going, uh, you know, and I mean, from an astrological perspective, I have like Taurus and Gemini cusp, which is like, they're like polar because the Taurus is all about like grounded and roots and, and stability and home life. And, you know, and then the, the Gemini is like, woo, let's go on a trip. Let's go fly here. Let's go do this. Mm-hmm. And so it's that trying to ebb and flow with finding some consistency 
and still have the spontaneity of life and going with the flow and, you know, all that kind of fun stuff as well. (laughs) I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that dynamic of the bringing in the astrological part of it is so Mm. fucking interesting. Oh my gosh. Oh, I know. It's, it's, it's fascinating. I think the thing that I always tell people is, is that no one thing negates the other, meaning it's not that, you know, astrology or numerology or energy healing or, you know, whatever modality you want to pick and, and, and put on the, on the chart, um, they all have a function and a purpose. I think the important thing is to not get lost and live only by one because it's easy to then kind of get caught up and lose perspective of the whole big picture within it. Yes. And and also understanding that it's about using the right tool at the right time. Um, Again, really fun kind of analogy is is that you you can put a pretty white light over an outhouse, but I still know what it's full of. And so so at the end of the day, yeah, sure, the tools of of paint – to paint the pretty out, uh, you know, paint, make the outhouse look all pretty is valid. We will eventually want to make the outhouse look pretty, but in the beginning, we need to go in with the sump pump and we need to get that shit out of there. We need to actually go in and, and remove the smelly, yucky, you know, aspect of things. Um, no differently than if you were pulled over on the side of the road and you had a flat tire in a car. Well, if you've got your, you know, best girlfriend there and the two of you are, you know, on the side of the road and you're like, we can do this. We got this, you know, we can change our tire. We don't need to call, you know, AAA or anything like that. And you're there and you're trying to get the, you know, that <laughs> now I'm totally being the jack, jack thing. Yeah. Yeah. The jack thing. <laughs> <laughs> kind of jack up the car, but your friend is wanting to be really helpful. And so she's handing you the, the spare tire. Okay. Well, it doesn't negate the fact that she needs to hand you that spare tire, but it's not at the right time. Well, this is what happens as people start to, with the world and social media and, and the internet, we have made a lot of modalities and healing techniques super available for people. But what it's also done is it's given the opportunity for people to spiritually leapfrog. And so by leapfrogging, they're missing out on the healing in the, in the, in the order that their soul needs. And so they advance and then all of a sudden it's like, uh, why am I getting ripped back with this like core basic thing? It's because they've used the wrong tool at the wrong time. Mm. Doesn't mean you don't want to use all these other tools, but you gotta, you gotta heal that core wound. You gotta understand why you're upset first, what you're believing about yourself first, and then you go forward. And then you go forward. And yeah. yeah. And I feel like the, the idea of like the right tool presenting, I feel like it's, it's leaning into whatever feels like a natural progression to explore with curiosity because the perfectionist inside that's like, oh, I don't want to make the wrong decision. Like there isn't a right or wrong path, but there is a level of us forcing something. Just like you said, there's social media, there's this being like, this must be the right way because it worked for this person versus like you were saying, tuning into what am I actually feeling? What do I need? And it's so powerful, like asking the inner child, what do you need? Mm. What do you want to do? Beautiful. And like how that translates, you know, into our 3D adult life. <laughs> Hashtag adulting. <laughs> Hashtag adulting. Where am I? I just want to play and ask questions. That was what came up for me in a meditation, asking my inner child. I'm like, all right, what do you want to do? And he was like, I just want to ask questions and talk to cool people. And that just instantly translated to the podcast for me. I'm like, okay, all parts are all aboard. <laughs> I love that you switched to your like flight attendant voice. Welcome aboard. <laughs> right? I'm like, I'm like over here. Oh my God, I saw the funniest meme of this guy. And he's like on a treadmill with his um, suitcase, pretending to be on one of those like moving things at the airport. And he's all, I'm training. And then he puts his suitcase on there and he just stares at the suitcase. He's like pretending to get it off the belt. It was so funny. I was like, oh, Gina would love this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Joyfully Podcast. And I know you have like a free uh, offering. Can you share with us about that? 
Absolutely. So you can go to my website, which is www.ginalee.ca. Um, so it's G-I-N-A-L-E-I-G-H.ca because it's Canada. And um, <laughs> on my site there, you will see a link for Yoga Nidra. So Yoga Nidra is a beautiful practice. It it translates to basically yoga sleep. So it's a yogic sleep. It is not hypnosis. It is different than that. And what it is, is it's a systematic guided meditation that takes you down into your um, a state basically similar to REM, allowing your body to get into a really deep relaxation and start to heal and work with conscious and unconscious things that are, you know, rolling around down in there. And uh, <laughs> what I love about it, even just on, uh, on a physical level, is that it's incredible for anxiety, stress relief, insomnia, and just genuinely getting yourself grounded and centered. Uh, 20 minutes of yoga nidra is the equivalent to one hour of REM sleep. So depending on the length of the nidra that you're doing, it will equate to obviously longer. Most nidras are not more than an hour. Um, and the idea is that you actually are, you, the practice is that you stay awake during it, which as you start your practice, you most likely just fall asleep. And I, I was, when I was doing my training, <laughs> the first five days, every single day I fell asleep. And I was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like what is going on? But it was, it's so powerful and it, your body will get whatever it needs, even on an unconscious level while it's listening to the voice. So on there, you can go, you get a free download. You can download the, um, the, uh, the, the yoga ninja guided meditation. And then there's all kinds of other fun things that you can check out between live classes and libraries and online coaching and programs and courses and all that fun stuff. <laughs> awesome. And the, just so you guys know, um, there's the link in the bio, so you are in the show notes. So you could be able to click to go to that. Awesome. Gina, thank you so much. It's so great that you have like a free yoga ninja, um, you know, recording. I've only tried yoga ninja a couple of times, but the times I have, it's been really powerful. Nice. Nice. I'm glad. Yeah. It's, it's, it's something that it does not matter what your level of experience is with meditation or with yoga. You need none. And I mean, essentially you're laying down in bed or a yoga mat, but if it's a longer one, I would just lay in bed. And so it's not like you need, you don't need a yoga mat. You don't need any kind of experience with it. You just need to know how to breathe, relax, and close your eyes and lay down. So it's, it's a great way to start to get yourself into a practice of meditation and being able to be present and, and in your body in that sense. And, um, yeah, and it's, it's a, it's a nice way to just take some time for yourself and self-care, you know, you tell everybody in the house, it was like, okay, you know, mom or whoever it is, mommy needs a timeout <laughs> and she's going to go have a little nap or whatever you want to call it. And, uh, you go unplug and, and then be able to unplug from the world and plug into yourself. Mm, I like that analogy too. Yeah. absolutely Wonderful. So there's something I always ask people at the end of the podcast. I ask them to complete the sentence. Okay. Self love is. Knowing the inner self understanding that you are here for a function and a purpose and that we are all meant to walk this life with purpose and that abundance is already right in front of you it is not about asking for abundance it is about asking for the blocks to be gently removed that feels so good <laughs> I love that the blocks are just being gently removed that's yes. all keyword gently <laughs> gently and gracefully yes <laughs> oh this is wonderful thank you so much Gina for joining Joyfully You podcast I love what you're doing in the world and who you be and it's just been so fun getting to know you this year and I'm so glad that our worlds collided in the state of Quintana Roo, Mexico. <laughs> oh, right? Isn't that wonderful? It is. Love and now world. here we are in California and Canada, both of us being like, Mexico, <laughs> so far. <laughs> I'm going to just turn the fireplace on and imagine that I'm in my bathing suit in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to 
sent each other pictures, both of us in our bathing suits, sipping pina coladas by the fireplace. <laughs> the toucan. <laughs> awesome. Okay, thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Joyfully You Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Lowe and Gina Lee. Thank you so much for joining. Namaste. <laughs>